You know you're created for more. Now let's do something about it. Welcome to Project You, the space for you to embrace the I can, I will philosophy and finally start making progress toward your dreams, goals, and desires. Be kind, supportive, and remember every day that the blueprint for you is within. I'm Cami Craig Lyman, and today let's work on Project You. Hey, you guys, welcome to Project You. I'm here today with a very special friend, also a doctor, that is about to give us information that we need more of, and especially as parents um, that are that are taken back from time, right? Because we're working so much in this life to make things happen and to be in the hustle and the bustle of things. However, the greatest amount of work that we can truly give is to our children. And there's some children that are raising children in homes and, and there's some environments and atmospheres of these children's lives that that really don't get taken care of. And, and, and then there's the special situations where some parents don't even know what the heck is going on with our children. How are they thinking? How are they believing? How are they understanding, comprehending uh, things of life? Because we forgot about ourselves in that situation. Maybe we, maybe we blocked it out. Maybe we didn't truly understand what we were going through. So now we need better insight and now we need better tools from women like Dr. Dana Arlene, which is a child and adolescent psychiatrist. She's been in practice for the past 11 years and I'm very honored that you're here. Dr. Dana Arlene. Hi. Well, thank you so much for having me today, Cami. I'm really excited to be here and talk about adolescence. It's a passion of mine. I think working with children and families is just a really great part of my life and something that I've been doing for a long time. And I've got a lot of perspective on how difficult it is absolutely for both the adolescent and the parents. I think one of the things that happens is your child is constantly changing. And just when you sort of figured out a stage, they've already moved on to the next one. And so you sort of spend all of your time as a parent, both literally and figuratively chasing your child, you know, from birth, you finally figure out how infancy is. And then suddenly they're a toddler and then you're kind of figuring out toddler. And then now they're in elementary school and you kind of get that piece figured out. And then suddenly they're bigger and they want to spend more time with their friends. And then adolescence hits and it's sort of like a bomb went off and someone brought you a whole new child. And now you have to get to know this whole entirely new person. So I think that's one of the parts for parents that is so difficult. I completely and 100% agree with you. I am a parent to my oldest, which is a 12-year-old, and then my youngest is a 7. And what you just said, I relate to beyond. And I know everyone else that's that's listening to Project You podcast right now is going to feel this way, especially because I think a common question is, is what's your favorite stage in your child's life, right? And my husband always says it's now. I love that he says now because I know that he's present and he's in the moment with them, uh, opposed to saying back when he was two years old or he was three years old, that was his favorite. Um, But the other side of that now is also not understanding. And one of my sons, Bodhi, is 12 years old. He's going through a transitional phase that I kind of remember, but like I said in the very beginning, maybe we block it out a little bit because we don't know who we are 
it's a, a little identity crisis. I don't know if that's okay to say, but what I'm, what I'm very curious of as a parent and as a lover to my kids, and I want to work so hard to be the best parent that I can be is how do I relate better to the time of life that he's in and really understand. That's such a great way of putting that question because I think as a parent, it's so bewildering because like we talked about already is that they change. And so you got to know them when they were two, four, six, eight, ten, 10, but now he's 12. And so it does take a lot of um, understanding and recognizing that they don't know either. And having that kind of open dialogue between the parent and the child is really important. And finding ways to communicate and connect as a family. And that is probably the key part of it because then they're going to have the confidence to figure out who they are and what they're about because they know that you have given them that unconditional love no matter what they're presenting to you, that they're always still can rely on and connect to their family in many different ways. Sure. That's beautiful. Um, so you might laugh at me, but Bodie and I were laying in bed the other day and we were talking about hormones. And he has this really cool light that goes from blue to green to red to yellow to whatever color. Colors of the rainbow. And I'm seeing it right before my eyes. And I said, babe, you know what your hormones remind me of? And he goes, what? And I'm like, that light. And he started laughing. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, it just changes all the time. Like almost every second you could be really, really happy and you can be sad. You can be thrilled. You can be super excited. Like I'm finding that the, the movie inside out, you know, emotions, Mm -hmm. um, is a real thing in our household right now. I thought it was just me, but now it's my son. And, um, it made sense to him because how do you describe a hormone, right? Hormones to a child and let him know that this is this is the transition that you're going through in life um, to help him better understand the science and, and the brain. Well, exactly, because you're right. They don't know. They don't have that kind of insight, especially at 12. What they know is what we teach them. So they don't understand why their moods go up and down. And they also don't really know how to handle that. What I like to use as a metaphor is the weather, because the weather is never the same, and it always changes rapidly, sometimes slower. But no matter what, throughout the course of the day, every single hour, there's a different temperature, a different constellation of clouds in the sky. The earth is in a different position. And that is exactly how human emotions work. Our, our emotions are not stagnant. And so recognizing that for him and for other children at that age, that kind of early puberty stages of life that they're having these emotions that move like the weather helps to give them a sense of hope that if whatever you're feeling right now is uncomfortable, it will pass and you will have a new feeling to replace that. Maybe in five seconds away. It could be five seconds. (laughs) That's true. Um, And then there's a level of unpredictability to that. And then for them also, it's very uncomfortable, you know, to go through, we've all been through periods of time in our life when it felt like our mood was in control of us. It's a very helpless feeling. Oftentimes it's a very frightening feeling and, and you feel out of control. So giving them tools of understanding is the first step because once you have recognition and understanding of what's going on in your own body and your own emotions, then you don't feel quite so helpless or quite so overwhelmed or alone. And then there's other steps you can take further from that, which is teaching them tools and coping skills and strategies to handle when those emotions are, are overwhelming. That's right. 
Okay, next question. Dr. Arlene, how do we as parents determine how much freedom versus how much supervision we're giving our children? I hear a lot about the helicopter parent, but then I hear a lot about the parent that wants to give ultimate freedom and they'll find their way. That's a really great question. And obviously there's going to be different levels of family values in every every family. Um, parents are going to have different levels of comfort with different things. I think when we look at parenting styles, it sometimes helps to look back at how our culture has evolved over the last several generations. When we talk about our generation as children, we had a lot more freedom and parents let kids go play by themselves a lot at much younger ages without parental supervision. And now we have a culture and society that's much more worried, much more fearful. Uh, and some of that is probably our access to so much information from the internet, news. We have so much access to things that are really frightening. I think a lot of times when parents are hovering, you want to look at, well, is this a fear-based response? You know, what is it that the parent is really afraid of? And try to be more logical about recognizing when certain things might be worth more supervision and other things maybe less and finding that sort of middle ground rather than making a blanket uh, strategy all the time. There might be um, ways to supervise and give independence. You know, for example, knowing who your children's friends are and having contact with their parents so that perhaps if you're not there when they're interacting with their friends, you have contact with their other parents. Those are some small strategies I think parents often use knowing what they're doing on their phones. So being able to um, use parenting devices and control more of their access to social media with limits that you've already set with them. So finding that middle ground, I think, is a very difficult challenge for parents this time of of our society and culture. In our household, we have a rule. Um, It's going to tap into a whole other topic that everyone's probably going to love. Social media, phones, video games, TV. And uh, we have taken away the video games throughout the week. So yes, we do have them in our household. However, they're not going to take over our world uh, any break that we have. So on Friday comes, we call it Video Game Friday. Um, after school, they, they get access to it. However, I've noticed that them giving them having the access on Friday then leads to Saturday, then leads to Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes this obsession to get as much in as they can because they've been limited, limited for the past five days. So then um, a situation happened where Brody didn't turn in the assignment. And there has to be a consequence to, to that because I have to uphold that, that truth that I was speaking, right? Otherwise, I, I as a parent get walked on and he knows that I'm frail and I'm not going to follow through. Mm-hmm. So, um, the deal was is if, if you missed an assignment, um, at night, we watch like a half hour of a favorite TV show and we wind down that way and we took it away. And he's taken taken away for two weeks. And this is, these are things, logical things that were happening when I was a young girl, you know, and it, it, and it worked because all of a sudden we're all this, we're communicating a little bit more. 
we're playing with our toys more that are in our room that everyone got for Christmas and we haven't seen because the video games are taking over. So that happened literally last night and my sons are now not doing the 30 minutes of TV, but they're engaging with each other, having fun, belly laughing, playing with the toys, um, the cars, and we go to bed and we're all happy instead of being in this isolated form and controlled by the video games, controlled by that. And for me as a mother, I love to communicate and I, and I, in that human connection uh, with my own family, you get it everywhere else, but sometimes in your own home, the isolation strikes hard. That's so true. And I think that's a really great example of what you described when you said the word isolation, all these devices do cause so much social isolation. And I think we're in a place where loneliness has become epidemic because we don't connect the way we used to. Even people, if you watch them go out in social settings and go to dinner or going out with friends, they will still have their devices in their hand, in their lap, on the table, and disengage with the people that they're with in real time to engage in this sort of other world that's created in, in these devices. And you're right. What you saw was when the children are connecting with devices, then they're not connecting as much emotionally. And also looking at how we learn and and develop our imagination and our creative mind, you know, using other things to play with that are not uh, mechanical or created for you really does stimulate imagination and creativity, which is essential for functioning in our world and being successful adults. So I think... The other part of that that I felt was really prudent was the way you described having these kind of clear expectations of the use of the tools so that the children know in advance, okay, we get this much TV time at this time of day. We get this much time with our phones. We get this much video game time. And it's very clearly set up in advance so that they understand the rules and the limits. And that's a really effective parenting strategy is giving the children those boundaries. And then on the inside of those boundaries, they have their freedom, but you're creating the outside of the, of the boundary. And that's really where there's a strong parenting child interaction because the children are going to go find the edges. Where's the boundary where they're going to push on it, check it out. And then the parent is setting the, the structure. Now, if there's no structure and there's no boundaries, then there's chaos and confusion. And that leads to, you know, tantruming and anger and resistance and, all kinds of other challenges. So having that set up in advance where you've already set up a system where they understand that the expectation is homework and if that is not filled, then what can we do? And another piece of that is looking at sometimes understanding why the child isn't doing what you ask. Was it that they forgot to do their homework? Um, Are they struggling with concentration? Did something happen at school? Did they have a stressor? When you're ha- noticing your child is starting to make multiple, you know, mistakes and and behavioral changes, kind of trying to work backwards and understand, well, what seems to have triggered this? That can be really helpful, and rather than just going straight to a consequence or punishment, but backing up and figuring out what was the underlying cause, and then seeing if we can intervene there. I love it. 
which turns into another question. Obviously, I, I have all these questions and excitement because I am a mother of, of the sage. Um, and I'm so excited for those that are tuning in that, that might be um, challenged at the same time and or maybe this time is gone and passed and they're laughing right now because they did, like you said, the weather, they got through it too. Um, but my next question is, I often look up questions that are not the obvious questions to get something out of my child. Mm -hmm. And so when I, when I'm Google searching, like what are questions like, okay, how was your day? Okay. I asked the question, how is your day? And he says, good. And then he borderline rolls his eyes and walks away. Exactly. <laughs> Dr. Arlene, I want to know how my child's day was. I like word vomit on my kids all day long, which is probably not the best thing, but I tell them, I talk to them. Um, and so that's my, that's my goal now because I once heard you gotta, you gotta ask different questions. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe your tone is a little bit different. Maybe, um, the way, the time of day that you ask or whatever. So do you have insight on that? Oh, that's a great question. And in fact, it's not just parents that struggle with getting kids to answer and tell you more. Part of my job is to interview kids of all different ages and trying to get an adolescent to talk to you when you say, how are you feeling? So you have a hard time too. Well, of course, because <laughs> those kinds of questions, they She's don't human, really you guys. know. They're yeah. uncomfortable. They don't know what to say. So also just sitting with them one-on-one -on -one also makes them very uncomfortable. So what we right. do instead is distract them with various things. So have you ever noticed how it's easier for them to talk to you when you're hanging out with them, doing an activity like cooking together, or playing card game together? So in my office, I have lots of different, what we call fiddle toys sitting on the desk and cards and such that that adolescents would also be interested in. So sometimes really when I want to talk to them about how they're feeling, we sit down and we play cards and then they are becoming more comfortable in the interaction and you can expand with them on asking them more questions. So it's sort of like as the parent or the adult, you're being a little bit more subtle and you have to take a lot more patience right? because they're not going to be as direct. Sure. And that almost um, the way that you're describing it is taking the pressure off. Yes. And the tension, that tightness in the room, because you want to know, exactly. that can be felt. Exactly. Right? That's what I started to notice. Like, this child is is a human. He knows. He feels. He's not any different than we are. They're just little humans. Exactly. So they can feel the energy and, and the want and the desire probably from the parents. So that's really neat. I like that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. We, I've noticed in what you're saying, too, um, a lot of moms have said, I love the car ride home. Right. The car ride home is the best. And unfortunately, I don't get that car ride home. My my husband does. And he tells me a lot of things that they say because they're full of excitement. It's chill in the car. There's some music in the background. The, the windows are rolled down. They're feeling good. Exactly. And you're not staring at them. Sure. And absolutely. So finding those little moments that are going to work and doing more of that, that's sort of the trick. You know, some families really prioritize dinner. And at dinner time, everyone sits down and there's no devices and everyone's just kind of hanging out and stuff will flow more organically okay. and, and they will share with you in, in those kind of settings. Absolutely. That's great. So in your line of profession, you've been doing this for 11 years, correct? Yes. Probably longer in research and in study and education. Uh, however, however, in 2019, headed into the 2020 year, 
What is the most difficult thing that you're that you're seeing right now that is happening with our children? I think that the level of distress in the children that I see is very high. The use of social media and the internet for bullying has become quite epidemic. I think bullying in general, kids struggle with that and are really suffering. And I'm, I keep asking myself, you know, when we were kids or in previous generations, how does bullying now compare to then? And I think now it's, it's so much easier for them for it to occur because of all these other areas. It doesn't just happen at school. It also happens The platform online. of social media. And I've noticed as well that the amount of loneliness that, that adolescents are going through is much higher. Um, there's a lot more contagion of things that are negative, such as cutting or self-harming behaviors can become very contagious. There's a lot more of, of self-injurious behaviors um, and in general, I feel like emotional distress seems much higher as well. Yeah. Um, when you say that I automatically feel the disconnect from the family and the human connection, because we live in a time that is racing from time or to time, whatever, whatever that may look like. And, uh, in our household, it's, it's not perfect. And we go through the, the, the ebbs and the flows just like anyone else. However, I'm really, really cognizant and conscious of the fact that this is the greatest piece of work that we can give, which is to give love, to give warmth, to give joy, to give happiness and less pressure to be perfect. Yes. You know, and the way that we grew up, we, we, a lot of the times we got that I looked around and I didn't, I didn't feel what you just described all over. I felt it in little increments, you know, but they were less than then. And my husband and I decided that a part of the loneliness was part of the social media phones, devices, and which created this isolation. So we also decided that our sons will not get a phone. Uh, until they're 16 years old. Wow. And it's a crazy, crazy jump because when I actually do say it out loud, I get the, I get that response. But I tell my son, if you need us and if you need, or anyone, he has the numbers memorized and you really have 32 phones around you (laughs) because everyone has them. Right. Um, but what you said, the platform of social media has provided uh, many avenues to hurt other people, right? Yes. And to be negative. And, and we do our best as a family to not even watch the news, to not engage with, with that part of life. And so these kids are, are, are finding that left and right, and they're getting sucked into a fearful life that they don't deserve. We have a very fear-based culture and anxiety is so high and the desire and need to be perfect as you pointed out and that leads to this huge amount of busyness so much busyness people are doing so many things all these activities parents are doing all these activities kids have all these activities there's this constant movement and chaos and yet not being present as you described mindfulness is one of the most powerful things that we can do for ourselves. And there's all different philosophies about mindfulness. But when I simplify it, it's just basically when you're in the present moment doing something that you lose track of time, 
that feels really good. Yeah. No right. matter what it is, it can be anything. It could be meditating. It could be exercise, reading a book, watching a movie, video games. When people are totally immersed in one activity, it feels really good, and that's why they want to do it more. And bringing mindfulness into every day really contributes overall to a sense of well-being, a sense of safety, and really reduces those feelings of anxiety, distress, uh, and sadness. Because when you're in the moment, most of the time, the moment is is pretty good. And focusing on just those very simple things rather than racing off into the 800 things on the to-do list that you have to do to be perfect and all the mistakes you made in the past, both of those two places, living in the past and, and the future, can cause distress. And so bringing it back into that moment and being when you're with your children, that you're in the moment with them. Instead of you as a parent, I'm guilty of this, of being on my phone. Mm-hmm. When I, I don't have a ton of time with my kids and I found myself being rude to them and stealing time for all of us by me being on the phone. It, the phones are just so addictive and they offer so many things. They're useful. They are ingenious little devices that have infinite amounts of things that you can do with them. And so it sort of makes sense that people would have them all the time. And it takes a lot of effort to recognize how that is interacting in your life in a negative way. I think the other key topic that, that I wanted to bring up was about the concept of validation. And when you're validating someone, it's about recognizing where they are at in that moment. And when someone does it to you, it feels amazing. Validation is so simple. It's as simple as when someone is talking, you make eye contact with them. Because now that person feels listened to and heard. It's as simple as saying, I understand how you feel. And doesn't that feel good when someone does that to us? Have you ever had an extremely intense emotion or you've been angry about something and someone says, gosh, I'm really sorry that happened to you. It changes that whole dynamic of how you feel. Suddenly, you just feel better. Someone understands how I feel. And that's really the concept of validation. And you're not alone. And so validation is something that we can do not only with our children, with our spouses, our loved ones, our family, when we go to the grocery store, when someone helps us in line. With every single human interaction, when we can use validation, it improves their life and ours. And so that's one of the things that we miss if we're on our phone because we're not validating, we're invalidating the person. And so bringing that back into recognizing that when your child has a feeling or an emotion, like that's how they feel. That's That's a legitimate feeling. And validating, gosh, you know, I understand how that would feel for you. It could be really, really powerful. There's so many times growing up that I heard stop crying. Exactly. And now as a parent, here I am. And that's the last thing that I ever want to say because of exactly what you just stated. They are basically just miniature humans with everything inside of them, all the organs, the brain, the heart, the emotions. And they, I found like, as I say exactly what you're saying, um, there's this like weight lifted off their shoulders right and be like mom you're here with me they don't say that but just the body language 
is right there because I didn't scream at them and tell them to stop crying because I'm annoyed that you're crying (laughs) or whatever the case may be. Exactly. Exactly. And when you, when you invalidate someone's feelings, especially a child and an adolescent as they're growing, what happens is a state of significant confusion. So when say a baby is crying because they're cold or hungry as the parent, the parent is supposed to figure out why the baby's crying, right? And sometimes that can be really difficult and sometimes you you nail it and you get them the thing they need and then they stop crying and it's wonderful. So you're, you're constantly trying to figure out, okay, the baby's crying. What do I need to do to make the baby stop crying? And the baby is trying to give you information about a need because they don't have words and really all they can do is cry. So they're trying to give you information. You know, the diaper is wet, I'm cold, and I need it changed. But you're an infant, you can't say that. You just have this strange sensation that's really uncomfortable. So crying is the strategy that's evolved. And then the parent, instinctively, crying is uncomfortable. You know, as a mother with a baby, you can imagine, like, you're instantly triggered by that crying of the baby and to do something to fix that. And that's how parents evolve. Your job as a parent is to constantly figure out how to keep this growing human alive and safe yeah. and fed and warm nourished and, and warm. And yeah. that's kind of this automatic parental instinct. And so figuring out that as they grow up gets more challenging because it's not as easy as a diaper or a bottle or just being held. It, you have to expand your repertoire, which can be really definitely challenging. Well, what would happen if you can imagine if the baby cries and instead of changing the diaper, giving the bottle, you yell at the baby or ignore the baby or walk away. Now what you've taught the child is that when the child has a need, it's not going to get met. That's very confusing. So take that analogy into when they're older and if they are expressing a need and an emotion, you know, such as sadness or crying and you say, you know, you're fine, stop crying. Now they're confused. They don't understand their own emotions anymore. And that can set things up over time when they grow and develop for a sense of difficulty developing sense of self, difficulty forming relationships with others. You know, it can go to much more extremes. Obviously, invalidating someone one time is not going to cause this major developmental upset. But a general invalidating uh, type of parenting can cause a lot of distress in them. Well, this is what happens. Parents are human. Parents want to be their best for their children and they fail. They get mad. They yell. They tell them to go to their room. They don't talk to him again <laughs> until the next morning and today's a new day. That also leads to confusion sometimes because As a child, we don't know or they don't know the levels of our stress from the day because we don't convey that to the children, right? So some parents get so tapped out that we put it on our children. And then then it's just like this fire in the house. Both my husband and I have understood that fire and we, we, we recognize that that fire is going to be present maybe sometimes in our house, but it's not gonna be living in our house because of this choice. Have you ever started a running regimen only to find yourself lost and bored? That's exactly why I've created the Sprint eBook. If the treadmill had you tired, these proven sprint workouts will help you stay on target and in shape in 30 minutes or less. 
Did you know that sprints are the most effective workout for people looking to shed fat but maintain muscle? Head to ccfreno.com backslash sprint. Again, ccfreno.com backslash sprint and get your copy of the sprint ebook today. We decided that when we do fly off our handle or it got fiery, um, that we can calm down from that because like you said, just like the weather, this will pass too within us as an adult. And we're going to be so conscious, aware, and alert that we're going to go back to our kid and we're going to, we're going to sit them down and we're going to talk to them with love and help them understand why we were irritated, why we got mad at them, why we we raised our voice at them. Um, because this doesn't happen all the time where I feel when I was growing up, um, it was that thing like go to your room and I kind of knew that it was wrong or that I might have stepped over the line and I was pushing boundaries but then there was a sense of confusion because it wasn't validated we never got to speak about it exactly and I think what you touched on is is absolutely right in terms of no one is perfect we're all human it's very stressful to be alive and raise a family and have a career and a marriage the numbers of drains and stressors on people's time and emotions are are enormous and so The good news is that kids are very resilient. They are. I mean, we didn't evolve with perfect parents. Uh, We have evolved with lots of complications and different stressors in life. And so what you pointed out was you're teaching the children a message of, okay, we behave in a way we don't want to. And now we're going to acknowledge our mistake as parents and we're going to talk to you about it and we're going to try to improve. And and be a team and a family. And you're asking your child for forgiveness and you're also teaching them that that's what happens sometimes when we make mistakes, we can ask for forgiveness and talk about it as a family. Right. And also recognizing too for parents that perhaps sometimes they may need to get their own help and support considering their own individual therapy. And also sometimes things get more and more challenging and also considering family therapy as well, which can be profoundly helpful to help families reconnect and communicate more effectively and can be a really life-changing experience. I think some people are very afraid of that word therapy Um, and especially knowing how fragile of a world that we live in right now. And it seems kind of um, like, oh, I'm better than that. You know, we don't need that. However, I, I had this one friend and she said she's a therapist and she goes, Cam, do you go to the, do you brush your teeth every day? And I said, yes, ma'am. And she goes, okay, so you, you clean your teeth every single day. I said, actually twice a day. And she (laughs) laughed and she's like, okay, cool. Um, but do you go to the dentist twice a year, you know, every six months? And I, and I said, yeah, I get it professionally cleaned. And then they're able at that time to see, um, look a little deeper and to see if I have cavities or if, you know, I have a something going on. And, and she's like, okay, so you go, you do these daily tasks every day. However, you do go to a professional to get the deeper thread and maybe use tools that you don't have in your own mouth to get the plaque off or to find out something that you didn't really know about. And she didn't have to say one more word. I got it. I understood. Um, and it, and it made sense to me. And then and then I talked to her about the belief system. I don't want to just have, go to any therapist. I want to go to, to someone 
that maybe has the same insight that I do and belief system that I do. Um, you know, some talk about religion or some talk about ways they got brought up or, and you know, she said, well, no one wants to go to a, a marriage counselor that's been divorced seven times or do you, <laughs> maybe they know too much now. Um, so how do you, how do you suggest therapy to a parent and to a family that, that is kind of holding the sign up already? That's a really great question. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about therapy. There are many different kinds of therapy, which is really cool and exciting because you can go to therapy for lots of different reasons. Um, you can go to therapy called cognitive behavioral therapy to learn specific concrete tools to target thought distortions in your head. For example, we all have a lot of garbage that we say to ourselves all day long. Self-critical. Mean strong. stuff in our heads constantly, self-critical. That contributes significantly to anxiety and depression. So cognitive behavioral therapy, with a very fancy title, is actually very specific tools to how to change your own thinking. It's kind of like hacking your own brain and it's incredibly empowering. There's a lot of books about this as well and you can research it online as well, but it gives these very specific tools on how you can change your own thinking. What a phenomenal skill to be able to do to change your own thinking. And it's very, very powerful. So there's that type of therapy. There's other types of therapy where you can uh, look more deeply into you know, past issues or childhood issues or trauma issues. So there's lots of different ways to individualize that. So that's the one part of it that's really exciting. And thinking of therapy as well as a way to evolve, uh, a way to find someone that helps you to, by supporting you and validating you and giving you another perspective that's outside of your own head. So there's a lot that you can gain from it that's really exciting. And they think there's a misconception that you have to be really suffering or really struggling to go to therapy. And I disagree. It can be a profound life-changing experience and you don't have to be struggling or failing or suffering to, to gain a lot of therapy about of therapy. What you can gain is insight and information and understanding about yourself. Sure. I, I love that. Thank you so much. So Dr. Eileen, I have this thought sometimes as, as a unit, from talking about therapy and you don't have the tools and for some people that don't want to go find them those tools what are other suggestions that you have to to gain more insight without going to therapy to help the betterment of your your family unit or your kid that's struggling or even the parents that are struggling certainly the one advantage that we have in living in our society and culture today was we have access to so much information the internet is a great resource, lots of books. The American Academy of Child Psychiatry has resources for parents as well. There's a lot of ways that you can learn about different parenting strategies or strategies to manage emotions online and find things that might be useful or beneficial as well. So it's kind of a desire to learn and have an openness about learning other ways of thinking. I love it. And that's, that's, I knew, I kind of knew that's where you were going to go with it because what people get over, over obsessed with, or maybe too much information, you don't even know which is the internet 
in Google, some people are so like in, in my fitness world, they're, they're like, well, what about intermittent fasting? What about isolate training? What about this? What about keto? And then you're just up to your head and you don't even know what to even believe anymore. You don't know which way to go because we have so much access. That's so true. It's information overload and it can be incredibly overwhelming. I think the strategy that works well with that is being selective going to websites or organizations that have good reputations that are providing quality information and being selective on not going down the sort of internet rabbit hole of just things that have not been based in any kind of science or facts. So finding organizations that have like the Academy of Pediatrics, various strategies like that, where you can get information that is accurate and based on evidence and research, that sort of thing. And yes, being protective of our brains, our brains are, you know, organs, biological organs that are, can be easily influenced. And so protecting yourself from just reading a bunch of garbage on the internet or watching excessive amounts of negative things, as you pointed out earlier, because putting all that inside of ourselves can be very toxic. Perfect. I love it. Here we are at the end of a project you, and I want to thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, we come to an action of the week. So every single subscriber has their project you journal. And obviously this is going to be a podcast where uh, a lot of parents are listening. And I, I want to ask you if you have three suggestions for our fellow parents um, to, to give them or three suggestions, um, to start implementing in their household to be better parents for their children. And also three tips that you would like to give the kids to do in their household. And of course that's going to come from the parents telling them (laughs) your suggestion. Well, thank you so much. It's been great being here and I've had a great time talking with you. I would say for parents, to simply find three ways to be connected and mindful and present with your child during the week. Three times during the week where they found a special way to be connected, whether it's simply when you're making dinner and your cell phones are down and you're just interacting with your child, or whether you sit down with them as they're going to bed and talk with them, read them a story in the evening, finding three ways during the week that you can reconnect with your child. I love it. Yes. Mm -hmm. And what are three things or something that you can share with a parent that you can um, entice that kid to do, to be more involved and to be more connected? Simply to ask the child, is there something they would like to do with the parent? Because they'll tell you what they want to do. Sometimes it's simple, like maybe they just want to go for a walk with you, or maybe they just want to help you cook dinner, or maybe they just want to sit with you in the living room for a few minutes. They'll tell you yes. if you ask them. And it, it's as simple as that, right? Just asking a question. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. I love it. Absolutely. Um, so here's my action of the week. Uh, Bodhi and I are are going on a date night on Monday. Okay. And so I, I love to ask my fellow parents to, to follow through this exercise because it's been one of the most enlightening moments with both of my boys. Um, when you get that one-on-one time. And so what I do 
it was a random day last week. And I, I, I noticed that Bodhi's going through this time of, of life and I needed to connect with him and just sit there with him, be there with him. So I got a piece of paper and I put Bodhi on the front and inside of it, I said, will you go on a date with me? I put the time 630. I put, um, day Monday, I put location, your favorite place. And, um, on the top, I said, yes or no. And then on the top of that, I put circle, circle, which one? And so he, um, I gave it to him and he walked away and he went into the office and he circled yes. And he came back and he gave it to me and he goes, I'll decide where we go on Monday. Oh, cute. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but, but what I, what I really love, of course, that, that picture painted is really cute. But I love, I love the act uh, and the action um, while we're there and being present with him. I choose no phone. I choose to look at him in the eye. I choose to ask questions. And I give him the open forum to also ask me questions where time almost feels like it's standing still. Uh, it could bring tears to my eyes because uh, we don't get enough of these times, right? Um, but it's, it's one of the greatest gifts that, um, I got suggested to from another mother when Bodhi was born mm-hmm. and I couldn't wait to do this. And here we are having, um, date nights, uh, probably like once or twice a year. So that's really fantastic. Absolutely. It's cool. All right. Well, you guys, action of the week is, is installed, uh, get your journal and, um, make sure that you do document and you do find that raw emotion on what Dr. Dana Arlene was suggesting. And, um, we always suggest to in the interviews to write the keynotes down because we have all these great ideas and we want to fulfill them. Right. But when we self journal, we're actually able to, to lock it down and maybe go back and, and be inspired maybe in a week, maybe in six months or a year on what Dr. Dana Arlene has spoken about. So again, thank you so much. I'm so thrilled uh, about this podcast. Thank you for having me. Heck yeah. Every moment in life is an opportunity to practice being who you want to become. Follow your heart and remember that love truly does win. Thanks for tuning in with me, you guys. Till next time. Mwah.